Hello and welcome to the second row Pro 14 recap podcast. It was Pro 14 semi-final weekend. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins to discuss this weekend's rugby. Yes, we are here again, definitely on our first take uh, from our brains to your ears with no filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first take. Oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, man. Good, good rugby oh, weekend. Friday and Saturday's games were impeccable. Really good match to watch. Great as neutral yeah. as someone who had no skin in the game. Really, really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, great advertisement for the Pro 14 because you can kind of wonder whether when it gets to the knockout stage, you're going to start seeing some cagey matches, but... Um, all four teams this weekend really went for it. It, was yeah, really it good seems fun. that um, when you get to knock out rugby, the Pro 14 go. So we'll just keep on doing what we were doing the whole time and see what happens. Yeah, mad strategy. Yeah, I know. Dude. So we'll start with Glasgow v Scarlets. And kind of as we predicted, Scarlets won. Yeah, and they won convincingly. Like, I think both teams came at this and were, were happy to throw the ball around. And the offload rate was mental. Like, there was so much time where the ball was in play. It was just, it was really exciting end-to-end yeah, stuff. Yeah, that opening 20 was just crazy. Like, did the, either team have any respect for the ball whatsoever? Well, they certainly didn't have any intention of actually completing a ruck, if if at all possible. Yeah, and the problem is, you know, every now and again you've got to just reset the play because it just gets yeah. too messy and too wild. And in that area, Scarlet's just had a bit more cop on, a bit more control. And that was that was kind of a story of the halfbacks in a lot of ways. Like I think both teams seem to play predominantly from nine and ten. And like, don't get me wrong, I think Russell and Horn were bringing the most intensity and energy of anybody in that Glasgow side. But Davies and Patchell were just immaculate. Oh, Patchell was just incredible. Like in a game that was like as fun as it was to watch, lacked a bit of quality. You know, he had it in spades. Yeah, I mean his line kicking alone was immense. Like he was squeezing every possible meter from the penalties, um, it, it was it was excellent. Like, but like I said, I think you'd have to argue that him and Russell are the best kind of running, attacking fly halves in the Northern Hemisphere. At Definitely, the but like the difference between the two of them on Friday was the decision making for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Patchell seems to take the right option every time, whereas there was a couple of moments where you know you're back to that risk factor with Russell that he could just do something stupid at a moment's notice yeah that chip from his own 22 then turning over the ball was just yeah and I mean criminal. some of his clearance kicking without that steadying influence of Stuart Hogg who obviously kind of was a last minute withdrawal without him to do their exits you ended up with some pretty loose kicks going to Scarlet's back three who were delighted and enthusiastic about receiving them uh, yeah you know two tries kind of Coming from loose kicks is effectively a back three's dream. But I mean, they were soft enough tries. Like Patchell just ghosted around the outside corner. Like he's quick, sure, but it's not like he's hard to miss. And the, the tackler just seemed to lose him completely. Yeah, it was a really poor defensive read. And for like a 13 to not make that tackle is very, very poor. And I mean, I think in general in the first half, they found soft shoulders too easily. Yeah, that second and third try, literally just running an outside line and popping in on a shoulder. Yeah. Twice. Like, the first time you kind of go, okay, that's really nice, but getting caught by it twice, that's awful. Yeah, Williams just seemed to wander through about four or five tacklers and then just pop the ball off. But at some, you're kind of waiting for somebody to hit him, and you're like, you, you can see him, right? This is a contact sport. Tackle him. <laughs> oh, talking about contact sports, it's gutted to see John Barkley going off injured. Oh, that is not the way you want to end your time with any club. Like, he is such a talisman for them. 
he's been great and I mean I think it would have been it would have been lovely for him to bow out in the final like win lose or draw but I think he'll be really disappointed he's a big game player and you just want to see him play in big games like it's such a shame like I Scaris didn't really have it all their own way though did they no I mean Glasgow kind of woke up in the second half but unfortunately they had a mountain to climb at that stage I think they were just able to bring a little bit more tempo to it and some of the passes started to stick which again if you look at where Scarlets have been they've been tested at the highest level in the last couple of weeks they had a nice run out against the Cheetahs whereas Glasgow have been you know sitting at home or on the training pitch they just it took them so long to get into this game I thought I was watching the Munster match a day early <laughs> I know what you mean like sure look at that line out just before half time that it just completely messed up it got ripped that was the point they need to get a try and they just completely messed it up yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, at least we knew the Glasgow crowd were there doing their usual booing. Oh, I read the tweet of the weekend about that. The loose head tweeted, Glasgow are booing like they're booing their def- the Glasgow defence coach. I thought it was just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, they're, they're a crabby bunch. True. And like, don't get me wrong, with some of the calls, John Lacey has not made many a friend in Glasgow. you'd argue it went two ways I mean the try he gave Greg was a double movement like you can clearly see him propelling himself towards the line with his other arm like that's a double movement every day and like the other one I think the camera angles don't help Uh, like I thought there was like a a hint of the ball on the line for Greg to come in and and come over yeah it's kind of it's one of those like cool I know the laws of rugby type of tries but I don't think the ball was touching the line until Gray got his hand on it and pushed it forward slightly. So I I actually think he got that 100% right. Now, the one that they absolutely did mess up was that um, that should have been a Glasgow line-out when uh, Pridey caught it and then dropped his foot into touch. Oh, that was awful. So you know, that was pretty blatant. But you're, you're going to get some wrong and some right and you just need to move on with the rest of your life and shut up if you're a crowd and get behind your team instead of trying to boo the ref off the park. Oh, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like, but, you know, Murray would have got away with it. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. Um, I'll tell you what, though, the other big call in the game, which was the yellow card for Greg, bang on. Oh, yeah, that like, was that, that was a big like, call. <laughs> cynical, offside, stupid. Well, I mean, it, it would have been a big call if the Glasgow centres had been doing anything in that game. Like, where was Anderson? Where was Greg? Where was Tommy Seymour? Like, I presume he didn't come out of the dressing room until, what, the 75th minute to knock the ball on randomly. No, Glasgow really outside 9 and 10 weren't showing much. No. Like, and they, could, they didn't seem to be able to get the ball into the hands of players like DTH van der Merwe, who's been so dangerous for them. Um, I, I, like, I think their centres are really, really poor. And there was like that kind of 10-minute spell for Glasgow in the second half where they really did wake up. The guys seemed to carry a bit of ball and look dangerous. But for the rest of the game, they were totally anonymous. It's really weird because most other teams, when you've got such dangerous players, they'll come in looking for the ball but Glasgow's are like no no you're good stay out on the wings and you're kind of going but if the ball's not getting out to them you're wasting well, good talent you're not going to do anything yeah well I'll tell you the one player who could like who can change a game like with 10 minutes on the clock Glasgow were still in this game and Rennie pulls off Russell and uh, George Horn and sticks on like Henry Pergos and Peter Horn like which um, like what why why would you do that no no makes no sense no sense whatsoever. Mental. All right, but look, overall, though, who impressed for you? Like, I know we've talked about Patchell and the halfbacks, but, you know, they're 
there were a few other good performances there. Yeah, I think one that we were worried about before the game was how Johnny McNichol would fare coming in for halfpenny. And he had a slow enough start, but he really grew into the match, carried a lot of ball and was, you know, it was a strong performance. Um, and I think both packs in general were pretty decent, you know. Um, they do say that forwards win games, but I think at this point it was so offload centric for the first half, at least, that it was all out to the back line and everybody thinking they were the Harlem Globetrotters for a while. Yeah, definitely. My favourite moment of the game happened twice is Dan Evans stepping, going on a break, then fecking the ball over his head and just giving away possession again. You're like, you did the hard work, just go to ground. Yeah, no, no, quick the ball away. Um, I suppose the big question that's left then is what are Scarlet's chances for the final? I say they have a chance. I think that team will always have a chance. You know, they know they can beat Leinster from last season. So they'll have that in their mind. But at the same time, they know Leinster can beat them. Yeah. They also know they can get absolutely destroyed by Leinster (laughs) as of a couple of weeks ago. Pretty much. Their defence will need to improve though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if they can do that, if they can slow down Leinster's ruck ball like they couldn't last time, then... You know, it could be a really competitive final. Definitely. But again, home advantage for Leinster. Yeah, and like, in all fairness, I really do hope that Scarlets have a discount sober in Dublin. Like, their third time this season, and they had two knockout matches last season in Dublin as well. Like, seriously. I mean, they're going to be on first name terms with the concierge at this point, right? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And speaking of matches in Dublin, there was another great game in the semi-finals on Saturday. Leinster and Munster in the RDS. Yeah, so disappointingly, the one time my predictive ability proves correct. <laughs> Did you predict like that to try and sway it the other way? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I really thought Leinster would have too much for Munster, and it was it was a far closer game than I was expecting. To be totally honest, like sixteen fifteen is really down to the wire stuff. Like I said, it was another incredible game of rugby, and genuinely tense like so enjoyable to watch i love that tense game you know i actually prefer i I actually preferred this to the glasgow match the night before yeah well i mean it's not exactly like watching a runaway train but it was it was good both teams were in it and there was real battle and there was a great atmosphere in the rds like i think it really justified leinster's decision to keep it there rather than moving it to the aviva yeah like after the articles last week i'm pretty sure it's safe to say more than 3750 munster fans were there (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're certainly making enough noise if they were. Are they bring an individual brass band each? <laughs> I know, but seriously, what a game. Some incredible performances, like on an individual level. Like, how good is James Ryan? Like, he was outstanding. Like, I know we're called the second row, but I think we can't do this every time he plays. <laughs> it is a given. Well, he, he's He's got to stop being the best player on the pitch all of the time then. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I... I think they just share around the man of the match award so it doesn't end up like CJ Stander. Yeah, yeah. The James Ryan man of the match award goes to James Ryan. Yeah. And there, was, there were a couple of other standout performers. Like, I guess when you talk about talismanic players on the opposite side, Peter O'Mahony was just immense. Um, he was just, he was so good. And I think yeah. he'll be gutted again to lose another semi final. Like, one of my standout moments for him was this incredible turnover from a restart. You could actually see him sprinting up the pitch and like, and then knocking it back. No back row should be outrunning his backs like that on a restart. Between that and I mean, if you look at the the unbelievable spin pass he drops off his right hand to Earls um, later on in that second half, the guy just has he's such a rounded player. Yeah, definitely. Like he is, 
he is a joy to watch and I've seen him live in the sports ground a few times I just hate him so much because of how good yeah. he is <laughs> yeah like that that's the real measure of a player like do you hate them do you really hate them like I know we were talking about Barkley previously but like such a shame to see Jack O'Donoghue go off like that uh, so I've actually had that exact injury playing um, underage rugby where your foot just gets trapped and then someone clears you out of a rock the guy looked in agony oh it's not such a shame well particularly given the form he's been in recently like I mean I think he would have been in with a really good chance of touring yeah he would definitely be in the discussion but um, yeah, a shame. I, I think though from yesterday I think one of the big things I noticed that no team had a real out and out seven. Does that make sense? You know, like well, particularly once Jack O'Donoghue went off. Yeah, yeah. You ended up with like Jordy Murphy, kind of who's not really a seven, um, and you ended up with well, like what CJ Stander and Peter O'Mahony sharing the duties. Yeah, kind of like, and the breakdowns then became a bit of a mess. Like sevens make everything make sense, you know, because of how they play. Yeah, that's a fair point. Well, what was interesting was I think both teams both teams looked really good when they had the ball. Like they didn't necessarily they were able to hold on to it and they were able to be dynamic and like certainly when carrying and taking ball into hand, I thought when Leinster had it, they looked good. When Munster had it, they looked good, you know? It was less disrupted or Yeah, rupt. and that opening twenty minutes was like Oh, thank God. Thank God we remembered we're playing rugby and rugby starts on minute zero. Yeah. Both teams held for their incredible pace and Munster on the front foot for most of it absolutely I mean that we restarted the game really well how comes this taking you so long <laughs> I don't know it's it like I have to say like I, I will come back to it later I'm sure but it was so satisfying to see Munster varying in an attack to see us kicking strategically to see us running the ball to see a little bit more nuance in our defence or in our attacking lines if, if you're going to lose a semi-final you want to lose it playing like you know your players are capable of doing I actually think that game was for, was there for the taking from Munster from what I saw but that try for Conan was seriously against the run to play yeah and I mean I think it was it was the first time James Lowe really got ball in hand and he just he's an electric player at the best of times but it helps when he manages to run over your fullback like he's not even there that is true but there's serious questions to be asked out of Zebo's defence in the lead up to it you know like like you said, he like he wasn't even a speed bump for the first for that first tackle, you know, just low low brushed no. him aside like he wasn't even there. And for me, I think Sebo had a poor game in general. Like he's always been a player who will do something magical and do something stupid, but we got an awful lot of stupid in this match. Like his his exit, the decision making on the exits from the twenty two, he ran back into traffic. He got turned over. Some of his high ball takes were pretty good, and there was there was one or two really nice passes. But like this this obsession that that monster team seems to have with these you know big wide floaty skip passes, like God help us, like Jacob Stockdale specials. I, I just don't see why we're doing that when if we run smart lines, like look at players like Keith Earls is fast on the ground, put the ball in his hands and point him at space. Conway's the same. Zebo's the same. Like you saw when Zebo drifted out around um around Larmore, like he made ground massively so. Yeah, like it's a shame that Zebo mixed the the good with the poor. Like at one point he, he butchered a five on two overlap just taking a, a looping line. Yeah. Which yeah. I was like which is criminal. Like they said on commentary like, nah, it can't have been that much of an overlap. Cut to replay behind the goal. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. It really was. <laughs> uh oh. You know. 
but going back to a bit earlier in the game, like Munster could have been out of it if not for like an absolute try saver of a tackle from Sammy Arnold. Definitely. And Joe's my favourite bit moment about that, that tackle was how Lowe seemed to be really appreciative of the tackle. It was like, yeah, well done. I like that. <laughs> like, he just, he loves rugby. He's brilliant. So I think probably what I was watching it, I, I started to see the game shift away a bit and particularly in the last quarter where in the first half we had been varying the attack. We've been keeping the ball in hand. When JJ went off in the second half, um, which was apparently a hip injury, uh, we kind of returned back to that kicking game and the quality really dropped off as well. It's really weird. It's if Murray took more control and then one of his, like, and this is no, I'm not saying Murray is a bad kicker or anything, but what I think it's through Ireland, one of his main things is we're in a situation here, I'm going to kick the ball. And sometimes his kicking wasn't as good as it, as it usually is. And you can't be at that. Well, I mean, this is part of the problem, you know, in order to beat this Leinster team, you actually have to do everything right. Like you have to be a hundred percent because they make they're so punishing when you make mistakes. I mean, Munster went from being at a sixty sixty five percent up to about probably ninety percent, but there was just still enough cracks for Leinster to come through. But for me, Munster could have won that game, and that's just pure on a decision making basis. And I'm, and I mean offensively, forget about like extra strategy or anything like that. A few passes stick, you know, small things, and I'm talking one or two percent. They had the beating of that Leinster team yesterday. Well, you know, if either of the two kicks go over, I mean, that could have been it as well. Yeah, and, you know, the decision to go to the corner when the kick goal might have been the better option. Possibly, although you kind of feel like the momentum had shifted Munster's way a bit at that stage, and I think Momani was just looking to, to really punish them. And to be fair, you know, that's his call, and he, he stood up and took responsibility in the post-match for it. Yeah, and I heard what he said, like, but I'm still not convinced it was the right call at the time. That's a call you do when you're six points up not where they were at the time yeah maybe although you know what it, it uh, you'd like to think there were there were enough chances after that to come back and win or lose the game so i i hope he's not agonizing over that for the next couple of months no like i'd say he now at this stage has got enough semi-finals ticked off that he hates losing to last a lifetime yeah absolutely um, one other big decision in the game, which was the uh, the card for Jean Klein. So obviously, you and I have a different opinion of this one. I'm like absolutely, obviously, obviously, it's a penalty. Um, for me, yellow card probably enough of a sanction. Nah, like I can see him being cited, and I think it's a red. If Whitehouse is reffing that it's a red, you can actually see him kind of going, "Hello, look at what you're being shown here. Really, look at it. You know, like he makes contact with the head." So I think part of the problem is the angle. It was I think it was a head on head, which for me looked accidental or careless more than like trying to nut him in the in the, in the top of the head. But what the ref had said, um, who's ref Stuart Berry? What what Stuart Berry said was you can't determine the first point of contact because from the angle behind Klein, you can see his arm is coming around to engage as well. So if he catches it on the shoulder and then hits him in the head, is it more or less accidental? It was one of these, you know, what's the burden of clear and obvious? For me, and especially how the Pro 14 has been refed when it comes to high end, high tackles and anything that hits yeah, the head. Anything to the head, cut and dry, red card. Yeah, and like you're talking how the Pro 14 has been refed, that's a red. Here's a Southern Hemisphere ref coming up, calling yellow. Like I said, I think that is Nigel Owens, Wayne Barnes, Whitehouse, Mitria, that's a red. I mean, I, I get the call. I was obviously, I mean, 
I was happy enough with it, but I, I do think it's a defensible yellow card. I think he bottled it, personally. I think he pure bottled it. He didn't want to give a red card in the semi-final, and he was finding a way out. Obviously, not uh, not impressed by Mr. Berry, but uh, some of the players in the pitch were pretty outstanding. Who um, who caught your eye? For me, like when he came on, Grobler played really well, uh, took his try nicely. Ryan held the scrum really well, uh, in, especially in the first half. I think the fresh legs and how long he played really got to him, but he had a good game in general. Against against two test lions. I, I've said this uh, when Cobb played Leinster. I, good scrummaging tight heads will get at those two lads for me. Yeah, true. Peter Manny though, was superb. Lineouts, restarts, tackling, rocking, carrying. Like, the pass off his right for Earls was incredible. Like, an outside centre would have been proud of that. Definitely. He was, um, he was on rare form. I think... You know all those lessons that he's been learning? He's learned them. The rest of the team need to catch up with him. Yeah, that's fair. Who do you think for Leinster was decent? Like, so obviously we talked a little bit about James Lowe earlier, but he is just such an exciting player and he's a really reliable player for them to exit with as well. Like, he's got that big left boot that they rely on. Um, incredible. It, it really is. Um, those big raking kicks. Uh, Ringrose was good. So again, looked dangerous in attack. He always just seems to be able to find a little bit of space. I thought he was good defensively as well, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. Because again, you're talking about like a slightly disrupted backline, and he led that well. His line speed was excellent. Ross Byrne really impressed me. Why is this a surprise? Like he gets picked over Carberry at ten all the time. Like this shouldn't be surprised that he's a good player. Uh, no, fine, right? But he's kind of picked as a safe pair of hands. But like some of the attacking lines that he was running, and some of his like he got a couple of passes where he was getting the ball and just offloading it again. It's like and it was so slick. Like I thought he he was really classy. In all fairness, I think Leinster had some good individual performances, but not the be- their best team performance. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Like there was a couple of standout players in their pack as well. Yeah, like for me, like Ryan, we've talked of obviously, and for me, I someone I've picked as my one to watch Conan. Like I thought he carried really well, tackled incredibly, um, got turned over when he was more. Worried about pulling his shorts up over his arse though on the ground. But, yeah. you know, you can't CJ have it all. CJ1, Conan 0. <laughs> no, CJ1, Conan shorts 1, Conan 0. <laughs> Fair. Like, let's be perfectly honest though. I don't think we can finish off this without talking about Earls. Is there nothing the man can't do? Like, to be fair, he had a couple of, of clangor moments. One in particular where he knocked on with nobody within, you know, within five feet of him. But he took his try well. He he's just so dangerous. His he jackled over a couple of balls, made his tackles, um, and he he's just capable of. I mean, I think he stepped Larmore twice at one point. Like, how do you step Larmore when that's what he does? For me, Earls, especially in recent times, has become the complete winger. Well, I think what he does in particular, and if you look if you look to the Ireland setup as we're probably going to be doing now with the summer coming up, having Stockdale on one wing with that huge physical presence and psychic powers. Uh, you want someone like Earls in the other wing who is that lightning fast, like unbelievable work rate as well. Like Schmidt's a lucky man. Definitely. And let's be perfectly honest, what's the bedrock of that Ireland team will be Sexton and more importantly Murray. Murray was superb. Like he's been he's been criticized in the last couple of weeks, but the couple of big breaks that he did, so off that scrum and made like fifteen, twenty meters, um and like he took the quick tap for for Grobler's try. And I have to say, for when Earls got his try, half of that was because Murray whipped this unbelievable pass, like rocket speed, 
15 yards out so they beat like two that that pass beat two or three defenders so what you're saying is when monster skip pass only murray can do it yeah yeah no no loopy bad loopy bad rocket good (laughs) but like looking forward leinster yeah chances for the final you know it's hard to see past leinster like you'd have to think they're going to get the double true but for me they will need to be played for me, they will need to play better than they did on Saturday. Well, Scarlets know what they're up against, you know, and they they don't want they like Scarlets will not go down easy. No, but like performance wise, Sexton will bring them up a notch. I actually think he brings them up. Everyone, I think he brings everyone's playing level up just by being there. He has demands such professionalism from everyone around him. Yeah, no, definitely, he he certainly brings a lift to that side when he's in it. So. I think it'll be a good game. Um, obviously, you and I are heading to it, the, the second row on tour. So looking forward to that game there next weekend. Yeah, no, me too. And um, let's finish off the weekend's rugby with uh, Ulster v Ospreys. And like a, a huge surprise for me, not necessarily like this was a surprise for me based on watching the first half an hour of this game because I got to 31 minutes and at that point Ulster got their hands on the ball and I went, because I am, um, I was watching it on delay, and I was trying to figure out how exactly are the Ospreys going to screw this up. Don't get me wrong; I think over the course of the match, Ulster deserve to win, but everything, all of Ulster's scores, anything good Ulster did in the for some of um like for half of it came of Ospreys' mistakes. Well, you look at you look at the first try that Gilroy got. I mean, it was a beautiful kick from Marshall, but that try doesn't happen if Sam Davies isn't. I don't know, like smoking around the back of a shed somewhere. He was so far out of position. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then, like, the second one comes off mucking around in their own try end goal area. Although, to be fair, like, how big of an influence did John Cooney have? Like, McPhillips looked like a different player with Cooney there at nine. Cooney has to be on the plane to Oz at this stage, you know. Looking at it objectively, there can't be a question that he is Ireland's number two scrum half. You'd have to think that Joe brings... Murray, Cooney, and Marmion, because he just mm. seems to like having Marmion around. It's it's going to be McGrath. I th- I think Marmion is going to lose out. I think Cooney is going to take his spot. Or span the works. Murray gets the summer off. Very possible. That'd be interesting. But I, I don't think we'll go down. I think I think it's likely that if they're going to rest one of the halfbacks, it'll be Sexton. But you know what? Speculation, idle speculation. We'll know next week. That is true. I tell you what. Like the scoreline flattered Ulster a little bit, but at the same time, if you're going to throw wild high floaty passes on the wing that Jacob Stockdale is marking then yeah congratulations you've just managed to take another seven points well done <laughs> like how, how, how does this keep happening like are people just asleep when the video session around Stockdale is on and it wasn't the first time it happened like it nearly happened previously like just a huge pass went out and Stockdale oh, yeah. is just bursting up oh, yeah. and creams a dude you're like he warned you like, he warned you 10 minutes ago that this was going to happen be aware of anything that's happening it's scary his ability to read the ball and know when to break forward like that it does help that he's giant as well true he has like an extra two feet on everyone so like a loopy pass is just a normal (laughs) pass to him yeah exactly ah thank you for passing the ball directly to my knees like i know you said the scoreline flatters like ulster but to be honest it's it flattered the quality of the game yeah no that's true and like one player who we said needed to have a big game damn bigger was a mess unreal he had a complete mare like 
had lacked any control, any precision, and he was just awful from the boot. Oh my god, like his place kicking. I'm convinced he had money on himself for this because there's no other way that like an international fly half hits the post three times in one game. Yeah, I know. That is just unreal. Like, look what Ulster had coming into this game, though, seriously. All the players there are missing. Then before the match, Piotel pulls up and Ross Kane. Yeah, and then within a couple of minutes, Louis Ludic and Callum Black are off as well. Yeah, but like seriously, Tom O'Toole, take a bow. Yeah, good game. Really good game. And what I did like as well was um, Warwick, who'd come on as a sub. Um, did you see the tap tackle like with 10 minutes to go? <laughs> Peter Stringer special. Oh, beautiful. If that try goes over, Osprey's win. I think that would be the, the point. They'd woken up at 55 minutes. They were getting into the game. They'd get within a score. Suddenly, I think Ulster's head drop. Yeah, very possibly. But sure, look, I mean, I guess from Ulster's perspective, in terms of wrapping up where they got to this season, coming in with all the challenges they were facing on and off the pitch, the the nonsense with their coaching team, this feels like they've pulled it out of the fire just about. Yeah, they just wanted this more. Yeah, and I mean, I think they'll be glad now. Season is over, summer holiday, chance to rebuild. Um, a couple of players joining them that we know about, possibly a couple of more. And like it, it literally can only get better from here, right? I just think they should ask Roy McIlroy for a bit of money, pay off Scotland, get Dan McFarland in, have a pre-season and start strong next year. If half their injuries clear up and, you know, with Jordy Murphy's influence, I, I do think he'll have a big influence on them. Yeah, same. I think they just have to be better next season. Well, like, I really don't see how they can be any worse. Yeah, true. Anyway, time for our top performer and our clown of the round. So, Pork, I'm going to take top performer this week, if that's okay with you. And That's perfect. Like, I, I, I was sure it was going to be Reese Patchell after about half an hour of the, the game on Friday night. And don't get me wrong, the guy is class. But in terms of the influence that he had coming back in, running the game, and his effect on, on the team around him, John Cooney, for me, is the top performer this round. He was outstanding. Really good call. Really good call. I would have genuinely been torn between the two, but you're right, his influence is just too good to not be given a top performer. Yeah, they, they look they look such a different team with him playing. It, it's, it really is massive. Like In a way, he... I think he has the potential to be as pivotal to that team as Ruin Pienaar does, and I can think of no greater compliment. You're right, that is high praise. Absolutely. You, on the other hand, have the inglorious honour of identifying our clown of the round. Who's uh, Who's got the sticky lollipop this week? Um, for me, it's got to be Sky Sports. No one did anything badly to individually get it, so Sky Sports would get it for being absolutely tasteless, classless muppets. Interviewing Barkley when he has a moon boot on, he has just had to bow out of his last game for the Scarlets, injured before final. Take a bow. Yeah, Idiots. That wasn't, uh, not their proudest moment, and particularly given that they're about to sign off on, like, most of actually giving a damn about rugby. A little bit unfortunate that they've chosen this moment to demonstrate, you know, kind of the tabloid journalism of shoving a face in the guy who's just had to step out of his club career, injured. As much as I'm annoyed at Sky Sports... How did Scarlett's management allow that? Yeah, I, I think in general that, 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 that is not an interview that should have happened. No, for sure. But it did, and we move on. And we do move on, and that is us for this week. We'll be back earlier than usual on Wednesday 23rd of May with a special episode to preview the Pro 14 final and chat about the Ireland squad. For the summer tour of Australia, assuming they announce it on time. Exactly. So 
reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe and generally spread the word. So until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. Take care.